Hi there, and welcome to the Nerds of Business podcast. My name is Darren Moffat, and I'm a director at WebBuzz, the growth marketing agency. And of course, I'm your host. It's great to have you with us for another one of our special uncut episodes. As I mentioned in the last episode, season two on product development has now concluded, and we're currently in pre-production for season three. The topic for the coming series is mindset of the disruptor. So watch out for that one. But to tide us over for a few weeks until season three begins, we'll be airing a mix of uncut interviews and amazing bonus content from the last season that no one's heard yet. Today's uncut session features Kerwin Ray. Kerwin is a legend of the business coaching industry here in Australia, and he's an absolute powerhouse. He's helped thousands of businesses across 154 industries in 11 countries. He's also got more than 2 million social media followers, if you can believe that, that's a huge number, it's true. And he's the host of Unstoppable, which is consistently one of the top Australian business shows on Apple Podcasts. So when it comes to high performance and what it takes to be a successful entrepreneur and human being, Kerwin is a complete nerd. He's all over this stuff. Today's episode is part one of an in-depth interview I did with him, and it's a cracker. You'll hear his amazing story, how he came to be a leading motivational speaker. He shares his thoughts on failure and why he believes it's essential for personal growth, and he'll reveal the single biggest mistake he sees business owners making over and over again. So if you're an entrepreneur or business leader, you won't want to miss this. If you like what you hear, keep an eye out for part two of this interview, which will air in two weeks' time. For now, I hope you enjoy this special edition of Nerds of Business Uncut. I love data. I love kind of looking through the data. You need to have systems, you need to have structure. You're going to get chopped to pieces. Enthusiasm is unstoppable. We kind of hit a point where we were like, we need another leader. Surround yourself with people who are smarter than you and richer than you. (laughs) This is Nerds of Business. Your website bio describes you as Australia's leading business strategist and human performance specialist. Now, essentially, a big part of what you do is as a, a motivational speaker. How does someone end up being a motivational speaker? Well, I'm not sure because I don't really, I've never identified under that, uh, under that title. Uh, I've never responded to that, um, to that calling. Look, I don't consider myself someone who's a motivational speaker. If anything, Mm -hmm. I consider myself someone who's, um, you know, a relatively good communicator who perhaps sometimes communicates with levels of passion that, you know, gets people up and ready to take some action. And, uh, you know, if that's a natural consequence and look, that's a natural consequence of any strong coaching style, you know, any strong coaching style will create some level of tension for people who don't want to create an action and you know some people call that motiv- motivation inspiration but for me yeah I, I just I'm, I'm a very passionate communicator yep um, and yeah very effective at getting things done and very effective at getting people to do the things that they need to so yeah I don't really see myself as a motivational speaker if anything I see myself everything but a motivational speaker but I have been put in that category once or twice 
Yeah, well, it's on your Facebook page, but of course, you can't really choose that. You know, there's very limited, <laughs> limited Honestly, options what you can choose on your Facebook yeah. page. So, um, but I mean, maybe share with us you know, very briefly um, before we get to uh, some other questions. Just that journey. I know that you've obviously you've had a number of businesses over the years. You know, you've been an entrepreneur for you know twenty years or more. But you know, what what? How did you sort of end up here? Like, I mean, and and did you foresee it in your future? No, nah, look, not at all. Look, I, I got into business because I worked out, um, you know, relatively early in life that I wasn't very employable. Um, you know, I had about 48 different jobs before I found it, found what I'm doing right now. And so for me, yeah, look, I, I got the opportunity to try a whole range of different things. And that for me was, I think, quite important because I, I'm someone that gets bored quite easily. Yep. And so it's like trying every, every, every flavor of ice cream in the, in the ice cream shop to make sure that you don't assume what your favorite is. And, and for me, that was a big part of my journey that got me here as I I got the opportunity to try lots of different things. You know, I started um, a number of businesses along the way um, and by virtue of their failures and then ultimately successes, I started to realize that I just really enjoyed the process of moving things quickly. Yeah, I'm, I'm ADHD, I'm dyslexic, but for me, one of the things I identified if things don't move fast, I get bored very quickly. And so when I got into the game of, you know, working for myself, I worked out pretty quickly that if that if I couldn't make the business grow quickly, I'd get very bored. And if I got bored, I checked out and there'd be no effect. And, you know, I, I, I saw what happened when that, when that was the case. Uh, and so for me, yeah, I, I had to pick something that I was a, a little bit inspired by and by virtue of um, business being a, an environment that is fundamentally affected by our ability to show up and perform. Yeah, it just seemed like a natural fit for me. And yeah, I won't say it was easy. You know, people say to me, oh, you know, you've blown up overnight. And it's like, well, it's only taken me 20 years of hard work to get there, you know. That's always the case, isn't it? Like people don't see all the time that sort of led to that, uh, all all the work behind the scenes, the team, as you've alluded to. You've got a, a big team there. I learned earlier today, you've got a team of 55. I mean, it takes, you know, uh, it's it's that sort of uh, cliche, if you like, of the of the swan gliding across the lake, you know, very, very <laughs> graceful, but there's, there's a lot of furious energy there's going on under, under, under the water there. Under the surface. Um, yeah. And um, so, you know, to the point of, you know, getting to where you are now, like, was there a key moment of transformation along the way? I'm guessing there must've been a few, a few moments where, where you realized, uh, I think, I, I think I'm in the zone. I think this is what I'm meant to do uh, with the rest of my life. Yeah, look, there's been a, a number of realization moments. And I guess from a professional perspective, um, the the biggest realization moment that, that kind of springs to mind, I'd taken some time off. I sold the business in 2005, 2006, and I took a couple of years off. Uh, and then when I got back into business after taking two years off, I spent all my liquid cash, got to the point where I had no choice but to either sell assets or, you know, do something again. And, you know, I sat on a beach for a couple of days with a, a notepad and pen and my cat sounds unusual, but it's true to try and identify the things that I really enjoyed to do. And one of the things that I identified that I really enjoyed to do was to educate and speak. Um, but yeah, for a long time, I had resistance towards that. Um, especially once I came, you know, coming back and I still remember the very first time that I spoke after taking, you know, two years off from business, two years off from doing anything. And I came back and I did an event. Um, and I think it was like 2008 or two, yes, yeah, 2008, 2009, into 2008, actually. Um, <clears throat> 
And it was only a small event to a group of maybe 40 people. And it was at that point where I realized, you know, because I've been on and off the stage at this point as an educator and a communicator for a number of years. Um, and it was at this point where I got up and I was like, right, okay, this is where I know I'm going to have some significant impact. It was a moment of, I guess you could say, realization where I was like, okay, I need to find out how to do this. And the strange thing was, I still even remember going, my message, I knew at that time, my message was going to evolve significantly. Uh, and I even say that today, like I can, I can imagine probably 10 years from now, I'll still be talking about business, but 80% of my message will probably be around human performance and human potential. And yeah, that, that aspect of life. Cool. And obviously a big part of what you, you just touched on it then, a big part of what you do is teaching people how to succeed. Um, in your view, is failure necessary? Oh, it's critical. I think most people, the reason a lot of people kind of um, don't necessarily enjoy the process of business or anything for that matter, but business is a great metaphor is because of failure. Yeah. You know, people look at failure as something that's bad. They look at something as failure. They look at failure as something that is wrong that shouldn't be happening. And it's, you know, we've got to understand failure serves a very important purpose. It identifies gaps, you know, in skills, knowledge, and experience. And when we can fail consciously and identify what that skill, knowledge, and experience that is missing, you know, failure serves its purpose. The purpose of failure is to identify what's missing, you know, and unfortunately, most people are so embarrassed and ashamed and, you know, are trying to avoid their failures, but that when they fail, they're not only do they hide, a bit, hide them, they don't talk about them, you know, they don't look at them. And in some cases, they even lie about them, yep. you know, and as a result, they become these repetitious cycles of behavior that they can't escape because they're not really taking the lesson from it. And so for me, I'm failure mad. Like I love, you can ask anyone that gets close to me who's worked with me. I literally just love to fail because I admit will sit back and reflect either momentarily or afterwards and I'll you know ask a series of questions to to get the balance out to get the skill knowledge and experience that's missing and you know I think if there's one reason that I've done perhaps better than other people in this industry or peers is because I'm just not afraid to fail and I'm really I'm, I'm very pro falling on your face I'm very pro daring to suck because uh, it's the only way you really find out where your wings are <laughs> I love that and you know that's a, such an interesting point you raise because in Australia, compared to the States, there is still a more stigma around that failure and more shame, as, as, as you put it. Over in America, you know, there's a real culture of startups, you know, failing. You know, everyone, you're not really an entrepreneur until you've had one or two failures over in America. Yeah. You know, that's very much a culture there. Now, I think that's changing slightly in Australia, but still there is that stigma around failure, um, which leads me to sort of a related question. I mean... Uh, I agree with you. I think I think failure is necessary in life. But you know, you're teaching success. You're teaching high performance. Is it possible for someone to evolve so far that failure becomes, you know, more or less unnecessary in life? That someone evolves to the point where they become unnecessary, or failure becomes unnecessary. Failure becomes unnecessary. I, I don't think you can escape failure. And again, to me, it's always a perspective because failure to me is the, you know, is the inability to achieve a specific outcome. And we're failing every single day. Yep. You know, sometimes I fail 50 times before I've even made it to the, you know, before I've even made it to the kitchen because we go to do things that don't necessarily, you know, go the way that we want. You know, I, I go to pick up my toothbrush, but I knock it and it falls on the floor. You know, what's my relationship with that moment? Do I get frustrated and angry and, and self-abusive or I just go, ah, oh, you know, these things happen. I think there's, we never achieve the point where we no longer fail. I think we sometimes achieve the point where our ego becomes so self-inflated that we don't think there's anything else to learn. And I think that's a really dangerous place for anyone to, to get to the point where they think there's no failure left, you know, because to me, 
you know, it's, it's like looking at the pursuit of mastery. Understanding the pursuit of mastery is understanding the pursuit of the student. You know, the, the, the student never becomes the master. Mastery is never achieved. It's just in the pursuit that the potential is, you know, tasted and realized. And so for me, it's very much along those lines. Yeah. And I mean, I, I couldn't agree more, but, you know, it's, uh, I think the myth is perpetuated that you can have this you know, perfect life, that you can be. Uh, this brilliant high achiever, but to myth, it's, it doesn't doesn't exist. It, it, it is a myth, but it, also the really interesting thing is, you know, obviously, we're living in a social age now where there's a lot more documentation of content than ever before. And here's what's really interesting from a marketing perspective. Here's what I've discovered: my audience love watching me fail a hundred times more than they love watching me succeed. And it's not because they love seeing me in pain. You know, one of the things I've observed is yes, people do love drama, but they love observing different responses. They love seeing people fail but they love seeing a different response an alternative response you know the drama's in the failure yes but oh man he responded differently oh he reacted differently wow that's interesting you know and i think that's a really important aspect that a lot of us can really look at now in terms of you know how do we make failure actually a mechanism that drives success in our business from a marketing perspective well one of the things we do is we understand that failure is a relative concept everyone can relate to it you know and the more we can share it the more relatable we become and then as a result we become more relatable build better relationship you know potential for greater levels of transaction and commerce um so again our relationship with failure will determine not only our ability to succeed you know effortlessly but it'll also determine in some cases our ability to market in a really human way you know how how vulnerable and willing are we to talk about the failures that we have and show them to the rest of the world in a way that endears us to our clients and our audience yeah brilliant answer and and of course you know that that sort of yeah, when people do fail, it's humanizing, isn't it? It shows people that... Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, and that's the thing. That's why I love to fail. Like, people don't really understand. Like, I love to fail. And it's not because I am self-abusive. It's because I'm so... I've got to the point now <clears throat> where I spent the first... I'm going to say 20 years of my life, maybe more, losing everything. The only thing I won was the 100 meters and 200 meters sprint. Every single competition, every single f***ing report card, every single thing I ever did, I lost. Really? Except for everything, except for athletics. It was the only thing that I was any good at. Ping pong, I would lose. Hopscotch, chess, you name it. I became a crack loser. But here's the key. I became so good at losing that it felt normal. And so when I lost, I didn't get upset. I was just like, oh, that just happens. And then all of a sudden, when I started to develop skills and I started to apply discipline and I started to learn, you know, I started to get better and I started to win. And what was really interesting is winning felt really weird. I started to get triggered, but I would get close to winning and I'd choke because I didn't know what winning felt like. I knew what losing felt like. I could lose like a champion, but winning, <laughs> man, that was a new concept, right? Oh, right so okay. I had to learn how to build a relationship with success because I already had a very strong relationship with failure. But as it turns out, as I built my relationship with success, my relationship with failure was so bad that whenever it popped up, it was like, hello, my old friend. I don't resent you. I've lived with you for 20 years. We know each other well. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so I don't have that polarity, that, you know, that psychological bias towards failure. I welcome it into my life, you know, and I welcome it in my, with my with my son, 
with my daughter, you know, with my partner, whenever any one of us fails, we always talk about it very openly, you know, as a way of everybody being able to take a lesson from it. It sounds really strange and I know it, it can even sound cliche, but I am just, I'm a failure freak. I just love, like I get another perfect example of the way that I, I study failure. Um, when I first got into skydiving, uh, I had a fear of heights and so I did 200 skydives in 12 months and cured myself of a fear of heights and gave myself an enormous therapeutic advantage. Oh, I used to spend no shit. When I first got into skydiving, I used to spend easily two and a half hours a day watching skydive malfunction videos. So I used to watch two and a half hours a day of people failing skydiving <laughs> at a very fucking high level, right? At a super high level, like the worst malfunctions, the worst failures, some of them fatal, you know, some of them not fatal, some of them catastrophic, but I used to watch hours and hours and hours. I used to score the, search the internet and I used to find every single malfunction video I possibly could and I'd watch it over and over and over and over and over and over and over again to the point where it didn't scare me because when you first watch a malfunction video and a serious malfunction video and you're a skydiver, you your pants because you look at that and they go, oh, that could happen to me. Yeah. But if you watch it a thousand times, you get to the point where it doesn't affect you anymore. You would become you desensitized. You become completely desensitized yep. to the failure and the catastrophic nature of failure. Because the reason that failure is so dangerous for most people isn't the failure itself. It's the, it's the, it's the emotional consequence. It's the stress response to failure. And so by virtue of me spending two and a half hours a day, fast forward 12 months, I had two major malfunctions in one day, which in most cases could have completely ruled me out. One of which you know, could have been fatal, but by virtue of me constantly watching failures, when the failure happened and I was in the middle of it, I didn't freak out. I didn't lose my shit. I was cool as a motherfucking cucumber flying 300 and something Ks an hour through the sky. I've got a twisted pile of nylon behind me and ropes that I've got to get rid of quickly. And I didn't lose my shit. I thought very coherently, very clearly, you know, and you know, short version is I lived but this is where the lesson is when it comes to failure. You know, by exposing ourselves to failure, we condition ourselves, we desensitize ourselves to it. You know, by removing ourselves, by hiding ourselves from failure, we become sensitized to it. Okay, and so our goal is how do we desensitize the thing that is gonna be a problem? Because this is the thing, failure is not a probability, it's a guarantee. It's not, there's not a probability of failure, there's the expectation, okay? Yep. It's the only thing that's gonna really be measurable is how much are you gonna fail? You're gonna fail heaps, the question's how much? You know, and the sooner you can get to a point where your failure becomes effortless and there's no psychological resistance, there's no psychological abuse, there's no psychological bias, there's just this genuine curiosity. It's like, fuck that, fuck that up, right, why? Okay, what was the benefit of this? What skills, knowledge, experience that I gained from this? How's this going to make me better, sharper, faster tomorrow than I am today? Uh, and that's why, to me, I think the reason that I'm, I, I can do what I do in a, in a whole range of different areas is because I just love to fail and I'm not afraid of failing publicly. I'm not afraid of failing in front of my team. My team see that firsthand. And whenever I do, you know, I'm in most cases, the most humble motherfucker in the room because I love it. And it's where I get my juice from. It's where I learn. Wow. What an answer. Well, you know, I tell you what, uh, you almost had me clapping. You know, that was, that was, <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah, I, I almost felt like I was at one of, one of your events because that was, that was, that was a really brilliant, inspiring answer. And, um, and you'll, you know, there's obviously so much that everyone can take from, from that, you know, um, and, and your experience of failure. But on the subject, just to kind of really focus it in for a minute to business owners and entrepreneurs, okay? I know that you, you, you know, these are your people, small, medium-sized businesses in Australia, these are your people, right? What's the single biggest mistake you see business owners making again and again? 
They don't ask for help. Oh. And, you know, I know it sounds cliche, but here's what I've observed. Most people want to get into business because they hate being told what to do. They want a level of autonomy, right? They hate, I don't know about you, but that was one of the reasons I was like, I hate, you know, I, I loved a job because I loved a paycheck, but I hated being told what to do, mm-hmm. you know? And I think a, a lot of people hate being told what to do. And so they start a business because they don't want to be told what to do. Yeah. And by virtue of being in that mindset, you don't ask for help because you want to do things your way. And if you've never built a successful business before, chances are you're not going to build a successful business unless you know how to do that. <laughs> and so if you're trying to build a business and you've never done it before, you've never done it even successfully before, you've got no map, no model, no blueprint, no nothing, I'm pretty sure it would make sense to ask for f-ing someone who's done it and go, hey, what did you do? You know, it's like, you know, saying I'm going to run a marathon and this is like a marathon that most people would never even consider. This is like a marathon of your life. But I, I've never met anyone that says, I'm going to run a marathon. And I'm not going to do any training whatsoever. I'm just going to buy a fucking jersey. I'm going to buy a pair of shorts. I'm going to buy myself a stopwatch and a pair of good, a really good pair of shoes. I'm just going to turn up. And when that gun goes off, I'm going to give it a red hot fucking crack. Now, I'm sure that every now and then there's some stupid motherfucker out there that tries that shit, right? It sounds like an approach I would use, actually. <laughs> me quite too, right? Me too, let's be honest. <laughs> But we know that's, you know, that is in most cases why people don't finish their their marathon because they started off with the best intentions, but there was no preparation. There was no training. There was no development, you know, and that's where if you're going to run a marathon, first thing you do, go on Google, how to run a marathon, you know, and you can do the same in business. It's not that difficult, but I think people fall into this false sense of security that they had, they, they experience what I call this um, um, uninformed optimism where they become absolutely intoxicated with their optimism, that they think that anything is possible, that the world is their oyster, and it's not until something happens that has they have a realisation about it, and they go, holy f***, this is harder than it looks, mm-hmm. you know, and it is. And I don't think a lot of people realise when a business goes down, there is a, a whole range of consequences. There are familiar consequences. There are psychological consequences. There are community consequences. You know, mental health consequences, school choices, food choices, housing choices, consequences. And so for me, whenever someone comes to me and goes, oh, I'm thinking about getting into business, I'm like, dude, you need to know what you're getting yourself into. You know, first of all, 98%, you know, about 1.6% of businesses that start today will survive and be going in 10 years time. So the chances of you living for 10 years is minute right yeah. <laughs> <And> the ch- <laughs> minute like minute you're like you got more luck you know coming back as a bike seat you know the chances of survival are just minute and the chances of being successful they're even smaller you know it's it, on average it takes seven to ten years to build a million dollar business but of the businesses that survived the 10 years it is about less than one percent maybe two if you're lucky that actually will even crack the million dollar mark yeah so you got to ask yourself the question Am I cut out to be a business owner? Because not everybody is cut out to be a business owner. Some people are cut out to be a really good number two. You know, and this is a mistake that I see people ask is not only they don't ask for help, but a mistake they make is they don't ask for help, but they actually get into something that is not designed for who they are. They don't have the risk profile. They don't have the stress profile. They don't have the physiological, the biological. Because some people, as you know, mate, you've been around this game long enough to know, don't deal with stress really well. And no matter how much you try and condition them, it's just not something that they are willing to learn how to adapt to and they are people that just shouldn't run businesses you know business is stressful it's chaotic things go wrong and as a by virtue and that's why i treat business like um like i treat business no different than i would uh, i would treat a military um 
um, mission. No different to the way I would treat a sporting objective and whether it's a solo sport or a team sport, you know, the same is the same is true. Our goal is to be able to perform at a very high level, you know, and the way that we perform is at very high levels is learning how to mitigate the response to stress and pressure that is created in the situations that we know we're going to encounter. If you're going to be a high level professional athlete, you know, you're going to encounter high stress situations. If you're going to be a military operative active, you know, especially special operations, you know, you're going to be exposed to, you know, high high stress, high pressure situations. As an entrepreneur, by virtue of being an entrepreneur, you're choosing a profession that's gonna expose you to high stress, high pressure situations not avoid them it's going to expose you to them but if you expose yourself to these things intelligently you can actually build stress muscles you know and much like i can with whether it be a military or a sports or an entrepreneur i can take the same concepts that special operations use and i can teach them to a sports professional okay i can take the same concepts that a sports professional uses and i can teach them to a military operative and i can take those same concepts that both a professional athlete and a professional military high level special operative can use and i can teach them to a business owner now you've got a weaponized entrepreneur because you've now got someone who is what I'd refer to as a professional athlete and business and I think we may have even said this earlier like I don't understand why entrepreneurship isn't considered a sport you know we consider f***ing video games a sport you know everything has a scoreboard but we don't consider entrepreneur a sport well, why not it's just our game is more like a marathon you know you my game isn't measured over f***ing, you know f- 20 laps you know of 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 the shopping center my 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 goal is measured over 20 years of performance or 10 years of performance the only difference between me and e you know an e, e, e gaming or an e sporting person is you know i'm competing in most cases for longer periods of time but for those people who are in business who are professional entrepreneurs, you're a professional athlete. So my question to you is, as a professional athlete, how much time do you spend training? How much time do you spend resting? How much time do you spend in active recovery and passive recovery in, to ensure that when you do compete, you can actually compete like a professional would at a very high level? You know, because if we don't take care of self, if we don't treat itself, we become amateurs. And what do amateurs do? They just show up and hope for the best in most cases. Well, that's uh, that's a compelling Compelling pitch. I mean, I, I, I agree with pretty much all of that. You're preaching to the converted here, but uh, and I think that's a great message for all business owners. You need to make that investment in yourself. You need coaching or you need a mentor. You need some sort of help, as you say. Most of them, most people won't ask for help. Um, what are your thoughts very quickly, uh, Kuhn? I mean, do you think we should even teach some of this in school? You know, like, I mean, h- how would – think back to your, you know, 10 or 12-year-old self uh, if you were – uh, if you're in school and someone had have said, okay, we're going to do a term on, on what it's like to run a business and be an entrepreneur, do you, do you think that, that might have really connected with you at that point? Oh, look, to be honest, I'm not sure. I'd say probably so because I did start my first business at 13 and voids breed values and I didn't have a lot of money growing up and so that was what I valued. Yep. I got into entrepreneurship based on this belief that making more money would make me feel better, which you know, was its own journey. But yeah, 100%, I think this should be taught in school. Because you know, when you look at the practicality of most academic in education or academic downloads, it's just not practical anymore. You know, we are not training kids in school to leave with practical skills, expertise and knowledge that is setting them up for the world that we're living in right now. You know, the education that most kids are getting right now are setting them up for the world that existed 
100 years ago, you know, and we need to change that. And entrepreneurship is the future as far as I'm concerned, yep. you know, of independence, not just at an individual, at a community level, you know, but also when it comes internationally, you know, multinationally. Now, forget about globalization. I'm, I'm more into the individualization of globalization. How do we all become, you know, more geared as entrepreneurs to become self-sufficient as individuals and as a whole, you know, as individuals and as a, a family, as a community, you know, as a state, as a country, as a world. Why not? Let's just reinvent civilization, Darren, while we're here. <laughs> we might as well. We've come this far. Uh, well, I think we've made a pretty good start on that. Yes, um, I'll uh, I'll get back to you on that, Kuhn. Thanks a bit a bit of homework for me. Just a, just a small small task there. Um, so, I mean, this is a related question, uh, you know, to what you were just talking about. You know, your vision, what we should all be striving for, and when it comes to um, your key value proposition to SMEs, to small and medium sized business, it's help with. Uh, not just business, but actually mastering life, you know, uh, and, 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 you know, you talk as you have today a bit about high performance, you know, and, and you coaching high performance, not just in business, but in humans, right? Mm. So can you explain for our listeners what you mean by high performance? So what does it, what does it look like in a successful person? High performance to me is being able to access the resources to competently and coherently you know, complete um, a task or a range of processes in, you know, situations or circumstances that most people couldn't do. And most of those situations and circumstances would be indexed by some level of stress or pressure. So to me, high performance is the ability to be able to perform at a high level in a range of situations, not just normalized conditions. You know, anyone can perform, anyone can be personally developed when it's 28 degrees um, and there's dolphins off the starboard, you know, but what I want to know is how do you navigate, how do you lead when you're on the edge of a cyclone, in the middle of a cyclone, in the eye of a cyclone, because that's where, you know, that's where the, the, the truth really lies when it comes to performance. And so, you know, when you look at the difference, it makes a difference with us because, you know, we've created one of the most powerful coaching networks, business coaching networks anywhere in the world. You know, K2 Elite, we've got about one in two, one in three of our clients will 2X to 10X in their first 12 months, 18 months with us. And these aren't small businesses, you know, one to 50 mil, some startups as well, some 300 millers as well, some big gorillas. But it's, it's a huge proportion of our client base will accelerate their businesses very quickly. And don't get me wrong, our business processes are some of the best in the world. Like We draw on military, all ranges of military, entrepreneurship, tech, we bring it all together. But the thing that we do differently that not many people can do because they don't have the experience or, or the expertise is we actually focus on life performance. So we focus on how do you perform as an individual, as a human being? How do you develop way of life strategies so you're a better human being? Because if you can develop way of life strategies so that you become a better human being, okay, you're healthier, happier, think clearly, you're smarter. Guess what? As a natural consequence, you're going to be a better parent. Okay. As a natural consequence, you're going to be a better partner. As a natural consequence, you're going to be a better leader. As a natural consequence, you're going to be a better entrepreneur, a better CEO. And so for me, <clears throat> I think a lot of people look at business in the, as a context sport, and it's not. You know, if you want to look at performance, performance is a 360-degree equation. It's not something you do here. It's something you do everywhere. And if you're just doing it here, then to me, you're not, you, you know, you, you don't understand what really performance is. Performance to me, you know, isn't, isn't a magnifying glass. It's, 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 it's a perspective. It's a way of life. It's not something you use to magnify, okay, although that's what most people do. They develop performance talents that they can magnify in the area of tennis, you know, that they can magnify in the area area of business that they can magnify in the area of mathematics. But imagine if you have way of life strategies that enable you to magnify your potential in every situation. 
you know, and to me, that's what it's all about, you know, and that's why our clients, it's so, it's hilarious. We just recently had a gala award where we handed out about 20 awards for clients at 2X and 10X. And, you know, whenever anyone got up on stage, I'd always say, oh, you know, I, I just can't believe the, the impact that this, has, this, 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 this training community has had on my family. Um, our relationships are better than they've ever been. We've lost weight. Oh, and by the way, we've made an extra $15 million. And it's an afterthought, you know what I mean? Because when, when you focus on performance as way of life strategies, you start to realize cause and effect. If there are certain things that I do as a natural consequence, there are certain things that happen. It's very predictable. And I play the game of consequence. What are the things that if I do them consistently as a natural consequence, I get what I want. Uh, and that for me is a big part of this game. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's, um, there's so much in there. There's so much to unpack. Um, I, I, you know, I've got a bunch more questions, but I, I would just like to touch on one thing you said there, and that is, yeah, sure. you know, in terms of um, that that focus. Sometimes people just tend to focus that high performance in one area of their life. And mm. uh, what are your thoughts on on this question or proposition? Do you think that that those people are more more likely to, you know, have problems down the track, sort of wider life if they're putting everything into work or or business or career and well, it's, it's, it's doing well. Mean. All of your attention goes into business. In most cases, health and relationships start to suffer. Yeah. You know, if all of your energy goes into relationships, in most cases, health and business will suffer. If all of your energy goes into health, relationships and business. So it's it's not a it, like life is a game of spinning plates. Okay. Yeah. And we're never going to get perfect balance. But here's what we can do: we can understand that in every at the center of every single one of these orbits. Okay. The centerpiece is me. And the more I work on me, the more I develop me, the better I function, you know, because we, and this is the thing, and I don't think a lot of people realize this, Darren, I say this all the time, and it's a joke. We literally, you, me, every other human being on this planet that's listening to this right now, every single one person that can hear this touching their earlobes, we are a trillion dollar piece of biotech. That's what we're worth. Like if someone could replicate us right now, we are trillion dollars modestly in biotech. And most people are walking around like they, you know, they treat themselves the value of a f-ing, you know, plastic shopping bag. And when you start to understand the capabilities of the, of the body, the brain, the networking, the programmatic aspect of what it is that we have, we literally, there's only one thing missing. There's only, the only thing that was missing is no one actually gave us a user's manual. We have a trillion dollar piece of biotechnology that we we're gifted from birth, okay, that we just think is biological, but it's technological. It has technology way beyond the scope of what we understand, yeah. okay, but no one actually gave us a user's manual to how to optimize, you know, the, the system. And you're old enough to remember. Do you remember the greatest American hero? I do. Oh, Wow. That's, okay, uh, so you will love this. This is this is something that you can relate to. Um, I love that show, and I, I love it more in hindsight because I still remember the very first episode. The dude's driving through the desert. His car breaks down. You know, the, the saucer comes up, beams him up, gives him the package with the, the Superman suit and the instructions to save the world. Yeah. And then he goes beam down to Earth, and he's walking back to his car, and the instructions fall out. He gets back home. He unpacks his Superman suit, puts it on. He's like, well, how the f*** does this scene work? He goes, and then he flies through the roof, hits cars, billboards, you know, and the whole series was about him learning how to use this incredible power that had been bestowed upon him because he lost the f***ing user's manual. And I honestly feel like that was one of the greatest metaphors for humanity. Like we literally are 
trillion dollar pieces of biotechnology with the most incredible potentials and capabilities, both at a Newtonian and a quantum level. And we have no understanding of what we're, what we're even, what's even possible. But when we start to scratch the surface, when we start to explore, man, it's interesting what we, what, what we can do, what our capabilities are when you start to think like a trillion dollar piece of biotech and not think, you know, like a $30 hammer. (laughs) <laughs> I love your analogies. Uh, some of some of those are, 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 are they're going on the uh, on the bar wall. Uh, that uh, some some great quotes there. Um-